Hey, New Life Church, thank you so much for joining us today. If this is your first time joining us and you'd like to learn a little bit more about New Life Church, you can text the word CONNECT to the number 765-347-9127. Again, thank you so much for joining us, and we hope to see you guys next time. Well, today we are going to continue in our series entitled In Christ. This summer we're going through the book of Ephesians more verse by verse, and uh, today we are going to be in the latter part of chapter 2. I've lost track on what episode this is. I'm thinking it's 5, week 5 of uh, Ephesians in Christ. We call this series in Christ because the phrase or its equivalent in Christ is mentioned 36 times in its six short chapters. The book of Ephesians is an old letter Uh, Many call an epistle that was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus, which was a church that Paul helped start, and you can actually read about that in the latter part of the book of Acts. Paul is in a Roman prison for the gospel that he's writing about when he writes this letter to Ephesus to encourage them in godly living and godly behavior. Now, uh, we'll get into the godly behavior part starting in chapter 3. But really, what we're finding is that whatever we have in our life, when we put it in Christ, it's transformed. We are made alive in Christ when we take our dead selves that were dead in our transgressions and sin and iniquity and now are alive in Christ, which is what we talked about last week. Now, this is part five, of, I believe, and so if you want to get caught up on this series, it's very easy to do. You can go to newlifeforkokomo.org. All of our messages are archived online, and you can get caught up with us today. Where we're going to be jumping in today is in uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Uh, so if you have your Bible, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. If you don't have a Bible, we're going to have all the verses on the screen, but if you would like to look in a Bible, there is an orange Bible in the seat uh, in front of you, and also I tell you what, if you do not own a Bible, I want you to take that orange Bible, I want you to write your name in it, and it is yours, a gift to you from New Life Church, and I think if you're in the orange Bible, I didn't write it in my notes like I usually do, but I believe it's going to be page 799, if not, it's 800. Um, Ephesians chapter 2. Let me set it up a little bit before Paul begins to, we begin to read the words of Paul here. Uh, there is a shift happening in really the, the day that this letter was written. You see, uh, Jesus has come. He's, he's, he, he's been, he's, he died. He was buried. He rose again. And this new way has begun called Christianity. The early church has been birthed. But you have to understand that for generations and generations and generations of time, the Jews have been taught that the Jews are God's special people. They are are Israel, his his holy nation, and that ultimately it has become a a social barrier in the Jewish heart towards anybody that was not considered a Jew. And you'll find in a lot of Paul's writings, he's trying to encourage Jews and Gentiles to be united together as one. And here uh, Paul is writing because in Ephesus, there was a, 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 Ephesus had so many gods 
And that, that one, uh, if you read in the book of Acts, if you remember, some of the silver makers, the, the, those that made idols of other gods, were getting angry at the church because the church was, was saving people from idolatry and they're turning to Jesus and now idol makers are losing money because the gospel is saving lives. And, and so these idol, former idol worshipers, former Gentiles are coming into the church and now we have Jewish people and Gentile people coming together when for their granddaddy's granddaddy's granddaddy has always told them, we are in and they're out. And now they're all in one room. And there's tension. And so Paul is writing into that environment. You see, for years and years and years, there was a derogatory term used towards Gentiles by the Hebrew people, by Jews. And it was, simply, it was simply this. They would just call you uncircumcised. If you Think about David and Goliath. David, when speaking of Goliath, he said, that uncircumcised Philistine, when speaking to Goliath, he said, I have defeated both lion and bear, and that uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. It was a derogatory term. There are other social derogatory terms used even today that are used towards certain classes of people. And so this was a term used because the Jews really prided themselves in the mark of the covenant with God Almighty. They were his own special people. And the sign of God's promise on their lives, the sign of the covenant that they were in with God, was circumcision that men on the eighth day of after their birth would be circumcised, the foreskin was, would be removed from their body, and it was a sign that they were marked by God. And so if you did not have the mark of God, you're out and we're in. And so this became obviously uh, a big question that the early church was wrestling with, that there is this new people group coming into the church what do we do because they're unmarked? And, and so let's, now let's jump into this, this uh, the scripture here, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. That's what it says. Paul says, Therefore remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised, in other words, you've been called this derogatory term that you are less than, you are out, we are in, by those who call themselves the circumcised, which is done in the body by human hands. Do you kind of get Paul's tone a little bit here? He's saying that for centuries, we are maximizing something done by human hands. If you remember last week where we left off, the last verse we, we read was that you are God's handiwork to be used for his good. And then he says, therefore, <laughs> so you are all God's handiwork. But this, this issue right here of they're out and you're in, by the way, it's done by human hands. Remember that at that time, you were separate from Christ. 
excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant of the promise. Why? Because they didn't bear the mark of circumcision, which was a, a sign of God's promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The promise that God would, uh, would bless them and so, and so forth. So they were, you then were without hope and without God in the world. But now, there it is, in Christ, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And let me tell you, those that have been brought near is you and me. Even in the context that Paul is writing about Gentiles specifically now being brought in and welcomed into God's holy nation, God's holy people, even in that context, unless you are born of Hebrew descent, and I don't know of anybody here that is, but there might be a few, the rest of us are Gentiles. The rest of us would have been out. But in Christ, you catch that? In Christ Jesus, you who are once far away have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. And that's for all of us, Jew and Gentile alike. We all once were astray, led another way. And then the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And now we have been, we've all been brought near through the blood of Jesus, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups, what two groups? The uncircumcised and the circumcised, the Jew and the Gentile, those that called themselves in and those that were called out. The two groups, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. So there was this wall of division, hostility between Jew and Gentile. But in Christ, all social barriers are destroyed. And God unites his kids so there was this social barrier, Jew, Gentile, in, out, circumcised, uncircumcised. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. We've got it wrong for all this time. Jesus came and he destroyed the thing that divides us. And he's uniting his kids now in Christ. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two. Thus, making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through what? Through the cross. In other words, in Christ, by which he too put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. So God's message was to those considered out and his same message was to those who were considered in. For th through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. So through Christ, Jew and Gentile both have access to the Father through the same Spirit. And consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. 
built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and it rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So Paul is writing to a very social tense situation between Jew and Gentile that these these Jews have have accepted the message of Jesus, found salvation, but yet there are still barriers to how they see other people. This is the first thing I want you to see today in the scripture, that it is possible to follow Jesus and still have cultural barriers that keep you from seeing very important truths. You see, for, I don't know if you knew this, but for 10 years after Jesus' death of burial and resurrection, for 10 years, the gospel was only preached to Jews. For 10 years. What, well, what about the 16 people groups at Pentecost? Pentecost is a Jewish festival. And the word of the Lord was preached at Pentecost to all kinds of people groups, all different tongues, but they were all there because they were Jews. Jesus was considered and called the king of the who? The, he was called the king of the Jews. And the thought was that Jesus came to save his people, who are the Jews. So it, for 10 years, the gospel hadn't reached the Gentiles. Paul had a calling on his life to take the message of Jesus to Gentiles. And so this is a significant shift for the early church. That those that for generations were considered out are now considered in. And and, and you see, because this is the thought. The thought was, if a Gentile wants the salvation of Jesus, they can. But they have to become one of us first. And how do you do that? Well, Gentile, sir, you must be circumcised. You must follow Sabbath. You must follow dietary regulations, and you must follow the law. And then, when you become one of us, you get to have our salvation in Jesus. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. That's not how this gospel works. So what, what happens then, when for generations, the hostility and division between two people groups is taught for generations. I would say it depends on what side of that discussion you're on. But in this case for the Jew, there grew an opportunity to feel superior, to feel prideful about about their heritage, where they were born, what race they were born into, and the favor that they had on God because of that. Imagine now that all of a sudden, the people you were taught were out your entire life are now in. What struggles would you have then? This subject matter of oneness between Jew and Gentile was often written about by Paul and really in all of his letters because although they followed Jesus 
cultural barriers could cause their community, the early church, to still stumble. And Paul reminds them that in Christ, all social barriers, social statuses are destroyed and removed by the blood of Jesus. Now, what about us, what about us today? Well, I would say that even today, it is still possible today to follow Jesus and have cultural blinders that keep you from seeing very important truths. And so for some today, the issue of race is still a very uncomfortable topic. Just like this issue of allowing Gentiles into the early church was a very uncomfortable topic for the early church. And just like that topic being uncomfortable, it is still uncomfortable for some today. For some, the topic of race is it's not uncomfortable because they have an outlook that embraces the fact that we are made one, the two made one that embraces all races as children of God. Let me ask you a couple of questions today that might test your comfort level. I think that are important to ask for the sake of perspective. I want you to take a moment right now and take a look around the room. Go ahead. Even look behind you. Maybe say hi to your neighbor. You may have skipped them earlier after worship. Take a look around the room. It's very obvious that there are a fewer number of people at New Life of another, of a, of another ethnicity than white. There, there, are much, there are far fewer minorities at our church. So here's the question. How comfortable would you be making New Life Church your home if that ratio were actually reversed? If you were only one of a few white people in this large crowd of other, eth- of other eth- ethnicities, would you still call New Life Church your home? I'm not asking you to answer out loud. I just want you to think about this, these questions. What if the majority of this church were African American? Would you have come here today if you knew that New Life Church was 90% or more African American? Would you have come here today? Would you have been comfortable in the room? Now, I love being your pastor. I mean that with all my heart. And I also have no reason to think that you feel any differently about me. Thank you for that, by the way. Because <laughs> all of you have so accepted me and my family. You feel comfortable around me. We've joined together in ministry for the last two years. But let me ask you a question. How would you feel if me, exactly me, were African American? 
Would I still be your pastor? Would you think differently of our church? Would you be comfortable with me? Would that be something that maybe, if you were honest, you would just have to get used to that? That would be different for you, and that's okay as well. And I really hope that maybe these questions would challenge you today. Because if you woke up this morning and said, I'm going to go try New Life Church, and someone says, that's a black church, did you know that? Would you still have come? Think of that. And so when Paul writes this letter to Jew and Gentile, it's kind of like that for them. They're like, that's the guy I used to call uncircumcised when he'd cut me off in the market street. Ah, you uncircumcised. And now he's sitting next to me at church. So for the church at Ephesus, Paul tells them again, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ for he himself is our peace and has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier and dividing wall of hostility. You know, we, I, today is a significant day and a national holiday. It's significant because we're celebrating fathers. But it's also significant because today is June 19th. In, in a, a called a national holiday called Juneteenth. June, June 19th commemorates the day in 1865 when the last group of enslaved people in our country found out that they were free. In 1863, two years prior to uh, June 19th, 1865, two years prior... Abraham Lincoln announced the Emancipation Proclamation, freeing slaves in America. A year later, it went to Congress, and then after that, it went and was passed by the Senate. And six months after it was passed by the Senate, word of their freedom, six months later, had finally reached the last in our country that were enslaved. So June 19th, commemorates a day when a great step forward for humanity was finally executed and all were considered free. You see, and Paul writes this letter to the church at Ephesus because the reality is Jew and Gentile were free, forgiven of sin, covered by the blood of Jesus, Made whole, made new, the old is gone, the new has gone. The same gospel had the same effect on Jew and Gentile. It was true, but for some at Ephesus, it wasn't true in them. For some Gentiles, they still thought of themselves as indifferent to a Jew. And a Jew, they still thought of Gentiles as indifferent to them. Although it was true, it had to be made, be made true in them. And so, on this day, 1865, all in our country, the last word to find out, found out that they too were finally free. I think that deserves a hand clap. I think that deserves a hand clap.
Because however you feel about Juneteenth, however you feel about race in America, I want you to know one thing. On June 19th, 1865, God smiled. God's heart was made proud. And he's not done redeeming these types of issues, not just in our country, in our world. It's everywhere. There is a propensity in humanity to divide us on our differences. Even in Haiti, where I've I've spent time in missions, Haitians are discriminated against by those in the Dominican Republic. They're all the same race. But those in the DR discriminate against Haitians because they're darker than they are. It's everywhere. And so when people get free of of mistreating God's own kids, when they get free from that and are united in that, God smiles. I smile a big old smile when I hear my kids getting along in the next room. I love it. When I hear one of my kids say, oh, here, let me help. I'm like, we did something right, Jenny. Did you hear that? He's helping them. I didn't ask. I didn't tell them. He's doing it. The heart of God rejoices when people are reconciled together and, and see how beautiful it is now in the kingdom of God, in Christ, that we get to build a community of unity. Where together, in one community called the church, we can see the rich and the poor united, worshiping, being discipled, helping one another. That that in the kingdom of God, we see men and women. We see the young and the old together in community and unity, worshiping, discipling, living life together, the rich, the poor, men and women, the young and the old, the white and the non-white, all one in Christ. And to, a, to the racist, they'll, they'll go to heaven because they believe in Jesus, but heaven might be their hell because they'll be with every tribe, nation, and tongue worshiping together in the same row. Uh. Uh, I'm sorry. But that's what's so exciting about the kingdom of heaven. It supersedes the ways of our world. The world wants to divide us on our differences. But the kingdom of God unites us, celebrates the beauty of our differences. Because like many parts of the body, although different, although function differently, we are one. That's not a message you'll hear anywhere else except the church of Jesus Christ. When, we, when a church is founded on the word of God, it unites. It doesn't divide. In the kingdom of heaven, it is so diverse because they're all God's kids. The second thing I want you to know is that the gospel can overcome problems now because the gospel overcame problems then. The problem between Jew and Gentile, you know what solved it? The gospel that, that founded in Christ, it made the two one. 
And whether it's racial, whatever the issue is, moral issue, whatever the issue is, the problems of today can be solved by the gospel because the gospel has been solving problems since its founding. And so that is why at New Life Church, we commit to preaching the gospel. I don't preach politics. I don't talk politics. This is probably the most you heard me talk. I mentioned 13th Amendment. might be the most you've ever heard me talk about anything political in two years. I don't preach politics, people, or man of this world. We preach the gospel of Jesus because it's what will solve problems of today. It's been solving the problems of yesterday. We... The gospel is the answer. It's the answer to all of our problems. It was the answer then, and it is the answer now. His name is Jesus. And ultimately, the motivating factor that inspired the early church's unity, Jew and Gentile alike, whom they were always taught for generations, were out and they were in. The, The motivating factor, the inspiring thing that made it happen was the gospel. Jesus Christ, crucified, buried, and resurrected. It was the cross of Christ that changes everything. And it changes these things too. And now in Christ, the two were brought together as one. Now listen, listen. My grandparents had kids that looked like them. And my parents had children that looked like them. And me and all of my brothers, we, we all have children that look like us. I remember as a child, I'd sit on my grandmother's lap, and she would look at my hands, and she would cry. And she would say, you have your grandfather's hands, who is long past now. She would look at my hands. Her, her husband had just passed a few years prior, and she saw my hands, And it was like she was looking at the hands of her husband again. You have your grandfather's hands. And now I look at the hands of my boys. And and we look and they have my hands. I know this is weird. Maybe too much information. But on my my little index uh, ring finger on my right hand, right here in the middle, I have a small mole right on my finger. Very odd, wouldn't you say? But I have a very small mole right there on my hand. And when my son Aiden was very young, I was looking at his hand. And I said, you have your great-grandfather's hands. Then I said, wait, what? We put our hands side by side. And he has a mole on the same finger in the same spot of his hand. And we bear the image of the hands of my grandfather, Les Sharp. He was a pastor in the Salvation Army. So we bear the image of our ancestors and our children bear the image of ours. And it's natural to adore those in which you see part of you in them, isn't it? When you see yourself in your child, you're like, oh my gosh. When you look at your child, and, 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 and maybe, maybe, maybe husbands, you, you, see, you, see, you say, I see your mother when I look at you. And it is easy to adore that. It's natural to connect to those 
that have similarities in likeness to you. But there is something that makes each and every single one of us significant. And for those that become aware of this particular thing, that all people, that makes everybody significant, for those that learn it, become aware of it, they can honor others despite cultural norms and cultural bias. They can overcome the dividing wall of hostility when they learn this one thing. And I hope that you learn it today too. And that is this, that every single person on earth is equally significant because each person on this earth possesses the same image of God. That the image of God Almighty is on all of his kids. God's image cannot be removed. Someone met one of my kids one time and said, surely you are Pastor Devin's kid. He can, you cannot deny, you cannot deny that. The image of God on you, the image of God on people not like you, it's irreversible. They look like their father. The image of God is on them. No individual, nothing, nobody, no law, no group of people, nobody can ever, ever, ever deny you because you look just like your father. You have the image of God. My challenge to you is simple. Choose to see in others to see the image of God in, the, in them. And when you see that the image of God is in them, then you will see their significance, whether white or non-white, whether rich or poor, whether man or woman, it doesn't matter. They look just like their father. They bear the image of God. And I'll tell you this much. If you can't honor the person, then choose to honor the image of God in that person. When it comes to people that are different than you, come from different backgrounds than you, whether it's someone younger than you, someone older than you, someone richer than you, someone poorer than you, someone of another ethnicity than you. If you can't honor them, then just at least honor the image of God in them. Because I know, think of it like this, because I know your daddy, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. Because I know your daddy, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. That you see the image of God in others. When I was a young boy, I grew up in a place called George Jr. Republic. George Jr. Republic is essentially a compound uh, north of Pittsburgh for juvenile delinquents, of which I was not. <laughs> but my parents were social workers full-time that we lived on the campus of Georgetown Republic in a group home with about 12 inner city kids at the time. Now, there was a, 
an administration building on the campus that we call the AD building. And uh, sometimes I would go with my dad to the AD building when he had to do something administrative. I don't know. I was a kid. Paper, I just know there was paperwork involved. And sometimes, like, and at the AD building, there was a break room. I didn't know it was a break room, but it was for employees only. No George Jr. Uh, kids were allowed there, um, of which I was not one, but I, my, my dad worked there. And, uh, and so sometimes um, my dad would take me into the break room and we'd put a quarter in the machine and get a Coke. I thought it was awesome. And one day my dad said, hey, wait here. Um, I'll be right back. And he went into this, uh, someone's office and I saw the door to the break room. And I saw that Coke machine. And, and one of the things my brother and I always did every time we saw a Coke machine, We'd go hit every single button to see if one would fall out. And so I went in there to hit all the buttons to see if a, a Coke would fall out. And then I heard a voice. Hey, what are you doing in here? And I was startled. i trying to see if a Coke will fall out. <laughs> I looked really guilty and scared, I'm sure of it. He said, this is for employees only. I said, my dad's Grant Galloway. Oh, I know your dad. Go ahead. <laughs> you see, we encounter people in our lives and we say, what are you doing? But when you realize, I see the image of God in you. And I can honor that. I don't agree with the way you're living. You need the Lord. You need someone to love you. You need to repent and you need to change. But as of right now, we don't agree. But I know your daddy. Because I know your daddy, you're good. You're, I'm okay with you. And I will pray for you. We won't be divided. The world wants to divide us. We won't be divided. I see the image of God in you. I know your dad. He's pretty good. The third thing I want you to know is that Jesus makes us right with God. And he removes the barriers to make us right with one another. Paul said by setting aside in his flesh the law with his commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Maybe somebody today needs just that. To put to death your hostility. It, it may not even be a hostility towards race. But there are religious hostilities that people have in the church. Put to death all of your hostilities. Thus making peace. And again on the issue of race and the questions we asked earlier, I hope they challenged you. And that the image of God is on every life. I want you to remember that genetically speaking, 
every human is 99.5% the same. 99.5% genetically identical. But in Christ, we're one. The world wants to, to divide people on the half a percent. But the gospel makes us united in Christ. Would you stand with me today as we pray? Father, I thank you that in Christ, those who were far away have been brought near in Christ. I'm thankful for that today because there was a day that I was not near, I was far away. And I'm just wondering this morning if this, in this room today, on Father's Day, I want you to know that the, the, the heart of your Heavenly Father is for you, He's proud of you, He believes in you, and if you are far away, He wants nothing more than you to come home today. It simply looks like this. If you're far from God and you came here today, maybe you came here today because you're, you're searching, you're longing for something in your life and you've figured out, well, maybe I ought to start at church. You came to the right place because the Father of all creation is longing for you. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. For it's with the mouth that you confess and are saved and it's with your heart that you believe and are justified. So if that's you today, you would say, Pastor Devin, I need to come home to the Father. You can simply do that by placing your faith and trust in him. And you can pray a prayer in your own way, in your own heart, it can sound something like this, and we can pray together even right now. Father, I recognize I'm far away and that you sent your son to bring those who were once far away, to bring them near to you again. And I just confess right now, God, that I've not been living right. I've been, I'm, I've been far from you. I need forgiveness. And would you give me the strength to continue on this journey to become what I know you're calling me to be? In Jesus' name. And if you prayed a prayer like that, the old is gone, the new has come. You leave today brand new. And I would love to know if you made that decision today, you can take the connect card in front of you and where it says my decision today, you just mark what that decision was because we want to give you some great next steps of what it means now because you didn't just cross the finish line, you just cross the starting line of a new life. And now let me pray a little further this morning. God, I pray that what the world wants to divide us on, race, economic status, men versus women, women versus men, what the world wants to divide us on, your church will be in unity. That we will build a community of unity of every race, every tribe and tongue as it describes in heaven that we would see heaven on earth. 
And Lord, those that see differently than us, those that we have even religious hostility towards on religious matters, Lord, that we would repent of that and be unified for the sake of the gospel moving forward because there are people in our city and our world that need the hope of Jesus. And we won't be divided on what the world's divided on. I pray that the world would come into this church and see the great unity and it would be a breath of fresh air in their lungs. They would say, I've never known it could be so united. We say, it is. We're united because we're united in Christ. So we make you the center of it all. In Jesus' name. One more prayer. I want to pray for every dad this year today. Dad, would you just lift up your hand and receive this today? Father, I pray for every dad, future dad, every granddad that's in this place today. Lord, I pray that your blessing would be upon their life, that the, that the future would be far greater than the past. Lord, I pray that you would free every father of every, uh, every guilt and shame of, of, a, of an idea of a mistake that they've made or that they, they could have done it better. But the, the call in their life to father is still on them now. And Lord, I pray that for spiritual fathers that would help raise up, Lord, uh, young people in this generation that are without earthly fathers, that, Lord, we would raise up generations of young people, releasing them into their greatest calling. Bless every father, Lord, that they would know that you look upon them and you're proud of them. You believe them. You, get their, you gave your Holy Spirit to help them father and, and be a dad the best way they can. Lord, I pray for every dad that they would first, Lord, their first love would be their love for you. Their second love would be for their spouse, and that would ultimately make them a great dad. And we thank you now, Lord, that you are an incredible example of what it means to be a great father. We love you because you are the best dad that I've ever had. You're the best dad my kids will ever have. I just want to try to reflect your father's love to them. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, isn't God good? Give him one big shout today. Isn't he good?